Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Block, uh, Block Talk Radio and Apple Podcast. This is the Great Iron Blitz. Oscar Lopez, your host. Today we're going to have a great show. We have uh, a talented Odessa Dinkins of the Dallas Elite joining us today with Troy Wilson and as well as Holly Custis. And uh, we'll be talking NFL uh, Anthem. We're going to be talking college football uh, week four. And then we're going to get into women's recaps as well. So, um having some switchboard issues today, this morning, and this afternoon, so bear with me, and we should be up and running here, and hopefully it stays that way, but uh, we're going to be talking pretty much everything NFL, college football, and then we're going to go into the women's recap as well, so um, it's going to be an exciting show, so let's bring on uh, my co-hosts here, so Troy and Holly, um, I don't know what's going on with the switchboard, but I've been bounced off on and on for the last seven minutes. So if we go off, one of you guys are going to have to take over uh, temporarily until I can maneuver that around. I don't know what's going on with the uh, with the with the feed and all that good stuff. I am on the road, so that could be a factor. Um, so guys, how's it going today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, Troy, uh, Redskins win Monday night. Uh, against the Raiders, uh, Derek Carr just let me down on fantasy. But other than that, Redskins just win another big one. Hey, listen, nobody was more surprised than Redskins fans at that game. I mean, seriously, uh, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen a dominant defensive performance like that from the Washington Redskins since 1991 when they started the season with three straight home shutouts. Uh, if not for those two uh, kind of freak turnovers uh, with Jamison Crowder losing the, you know, the punt return and, and then some AJP around fumbling inside the 20-yard line, it would have been a shutout. I mean, the the, the Oakland Raiders couldn't, couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. I hadn't seen Beast Mode take shots like that in his entire career. That defense was swarming around. They played with so much speed, and it was just more of a carryover. Uh, you started to see signs of that in the Philadelphia game um, where they started to put some things together, if not some big plays, and then you saw them kind of uh, boost themselves up a little bit in the Rams game as well. You saw a lot of the athleticism and them playing together. But who would have thought that they would have come out with that kind of effort on defense? And they played so well on defense that not a lot of people were really talking about Kirk Cousins only had five in completion. Uh, he threw for two touchdowns. Chris Thompson had an amazing game. He's also burst on the spotlight. A lot of people scrambled, scrambled to pick him up last week after what he did to the Rams. And now this week, it was even crazier with him having 150 yards on six catches. I mean, this team really has it going. You're talking about momentum. What a momentum-building game that was for them. And then they're going into this Monday night game against Kansas City. They're riding sky high so right now. Everyone in the Washington, D.C. area is at a fever pitch right now about this team. I think it was a great win because it shows uh, the defense is there now, and even Kirk Cousins played so well. I was just 
disappointed the Raiders didn't really do much in this aspect of it. So I don't know. That's just this just me, but I just thought for sure the Raiders would have put up a better fight. And so uh, quarterback play by them was just not good. Yeah, I mean, it was it was not only just bad quarterback play, but it was more so what the defensive backs and the linebackers and that front four pressure uh, did to them. I mean, when was the last time you saw Crabtree and Amari, and Amari Cooper only having one catch apiece for less than 10 yards? I mean, they were completely, completely taken out of that game. Josh Norman, he played a hell of a game. And, um, and Bashad Breeland, uh, Kendall Fuller. Hats off to those guys, man. I mean, those two, those three corners right there, especially Kendall Fuller. Uh, you're going to hear this kid, this, this kid's name. They've been playing him in the slot, and last year, um, you know, him coming off of a freak injury in, in Virginia Tech, he started to build upon it last year. But this year, he's just been playing lights out. I mean, keep your eye out for him. And of course, Josh Norman, he's the name grabber. But that Washington secondary, they're playing with a lot of, they're playing with a lot of togetherness. Torian Gray being the new defensive back coach for that team, he really has them running up and down the field, and they are playing lights out. And you also have to take your hat off to everyone in the secondary for how they've been playing. Now, Holly, um, your take on this game, because obviously it's, it's a key game. The Raiders were on a high, and all of a sudden Washington on the West Coast gets two wins. So what does this say about you know Washington uh, moving up here? Well, I think there's a couple things that are going on. Obviously, the Redskins defense played really well. I think the Raiders came out with a lot of emotion in this game, and they kind of went away from their identity offensively, and it put them in a hole because they kept trying to go deep early, and they're really kind of made to be a team that, uh, you know, kind of dinks and dunks around and, and opens up the rest of the offense for them. I feel like it put them in a hole, and it gave the, the Redskins confidence when the Raiders came out trying to go deep. Um, and then the Redskins were able to roll on that confidence and shut them down the rest of the game. Um, you know, I think the Redskins are going, going to go as far as Kirk Cousins will take them. He, I'm still not quite sold on him long term just because he'll have a great game like this, and then he'll the next week just absolutely crash. So he needs to be more consistent for them to make a deep playoff run. But definitely it was a big win for the Redskins, and the Raiders are going to have to regroup and and, uh, regain their confidence going forward. All right. So that's one of the games that I I watched because of interest and all that. Um, Troy, Kansas City, you said it at the beginning. You said it last year that they were an up-and-coming team. And all of a sudden here in three weeks out, and three weeks into the season, I mean, you're looking at Kansas City really on the up. Are you there, Troy? Holly, Troy, you guys there? I'm here. Okay. So I don't know if uh, Troy dropped off or not, but um, let's talk Kansas City, Holly, then. Um, on the up for the most part, and they've been very impressive since week one. I really think that Kareem Hunt is the front runner for the Rookie of the Year. This kid is awesome. He's really fun to watch. And then they also have Tariq Hill. So those two players are very dynamic, and uh, those new weapons are really helping Alex Smith out. Um, And their defense is playing pretty well as well. 
Um, you know, they, they pretty much did what they wanted to against the Chargers. And, you know, I've never been a fan of Phillip Rivers, and that game proved it again to me. He had three picks. He didn't look good at all. And the Chargers, I think, are in for a long season. But definitely the Chiefs are on fire right now. So we'll see if they're able to continue and, and keep it up. Yeah, I, I really like their team. I think that Andy Reid's got them going in the right direction. There's a lot of factors involved here. Obviously, we still have you know so many weeks to go in terms of the end of the season. But overall, I think Alex Smith has done well. Hunt has done well. Um, the receiving core is in pretty good shape. Defensively, they're they're really good right now early on. So um, they could be the front runners in this AFC West in terms of leading it. Um, my Rams are looking good, but I just don't see it yet. And uh, so what do you think of the Rams right now? I mean, they're obviously leading the division, but uh, S- Seattle can come back. you got your Niners literally on a bad swing right now. So we'll see if Shanigan uh, can – kind of turn it around depending on their up-and-coming schedule. And then you see Arizona uh, against Dallas didn't do much there besides Fitzgerald there. So um, I, don't, I just don't believe in the Rams yet. Even though I'm, you know, I'm a Ram fan, I just don't see that yet because of the way the division is. Well, I think the division as a whole is down this year for sure. I think the, the Rams are up-and-coming, but they're pretty young and, and some important places. And, you know, I feel like if they end up winning the division, it might be one of those years where it's just the division is so down that somebody has to win it. Um, I think golf has definitely improved with the new coaching, you know, but he still occasionally will make those rookie mistakes. So, you know, it's it's going to be a matter of how are they going to play against uh, the teams like Denver and, and the Patriots and teams like that? I think they just, they're not quite tested yet. Um, they moved the ball really well, you know, this uh, last week against the Niners, but I think a chunk of that was because the Niners defense on a short week seemed to take a step back. And I'm not sure if that's just a lack of depth or, you know, Thursday night football is very difficult for players to recover from, the previous week, but definitely the defense took a step back. So what part of that is the defense, you know, having a, a rough night, and what part of that is the Rams playing well? It's somewhere in between, I think. Um, you know, my Niners, we finally threw the ball a little bit, but, you know, Hyde needs to stay healthy. If we don't have Hyde, it's going to be very difficult for our offense. Um, but it was a fun game to watch. It was the first game – First Thursday night game I've seen in a long time. It was actually entertaining. So, hey, our, our team at least, you know, showed up. <laughs> I, I like the way that the uh, the Rams are playing on offense. But uh, as you alluded to, what's going on with the defense? I mean, I know, there, you know, and the one thing I, I'm noticing the trend around the, the, the league is that units that you would normally say are – you know, in the upper echelon, they're, they're really not performing that well. And then all of a sudden, some of these units are turning it on. I just think it's a little bit that has to do with training camp. I mean, because there are no rules as far as contact. And these guys just, I don't know. I mean, you know, when you take that much time off from, from, from tackling, I mean, I guess you do lose a little bit of that form. And so 
these guys just don't look like they're wrapping up. I mean, they have plenty of, you know, of, of still they have stalwarts on, on that side of the ball on defense. I just don't think they've really caught up to where they were last year. I mean, they are missing, a, you know, a handful of players on that team. But all in all, they're really talented on that side of the ball, the Rams are. So I'm just surprised, especially with, you know, son of bum uh, Wade Phillips out there coaching them. I mean, this guy's been a savant everywhere he's been. And all of a sudden, I mean, teams are kind of just running up and down the field on them, uh, especially in the last two games versus the Redskins and the 49ers. And, you know, you can't use the excuse of familiarity because both of those coaching staffs are, are new um, when it comes to, you know, the schemes and things. So they don't, you know, and they're not going to get any breaks uh, coming up. I mean, they have, uh, you know, this week they got the Cowboys. And, um, you know, the Cowboys look like they got it going uh, last night when they played uh, the Cardinals. It was also a, a pretty tough defense. And now uh, they look like they started to get it together right around before the end of the second half and in the, in, in, in the second half. Uh, they look like they started to take over. So the Cowboys look a little bit more confident. So the Rams have their work cut out for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a little bit of a see, wait and see for this for this division. Um, Holly, you said Tennessee against Seattle. Seattle, this is is this the sounding alarm for Seattle here? They obviously go into against Mariota and they they give up. Uh, I think they allow the Titans almost 195 yards. I, you know, yes, yes, uh, yes and no. Um, going into the season, it's amazing how, like, the national media was like, oh, the Seahawks defense, the Seahawks defense, the Seahawks defense. And it's evident to me that nobody was actually watching them play because having watched the Seahawks play for, you know, the last few years especially, the cohesiveness on their defense is not there like it used to be. There used to be... There used to be one cohesive unit, and and that's kind of not there anymore. And it hasn't really been there the last couple of years, honestly. It's just that they're so talented that everybody thinks that they're, you know, still at that level that they were uh, maybe three, four years ago. And I think the last two weeks they've been kind of exposed on the on the defensive side. And the Titans' offensive line absolutely dominated the Seahawks' D line. It was really fun to watch. It was kind of like watching the Cowboys offensive line when they're in rhythm. I, I saw their old linemen get, you know, downfield and they block, get really excited. And that running game of the Titans absolutely dictated the game to the Seahawks. And Russell Wilson, you know, got going a little bit late, but it was still not enough because it, the defense was so tired they couldn't stop anything. So, you know, the Seahawks only had 69 rushing yards, which is not good for them. They still need to find some sort of running game or they need to reevaluate who they are and maybe just become kind of like the Saints and just throw, throw it all over the damn place. But if you are requiring Russell Wilson to put the game on his back every single week, he's eventually going to get injured and then you're not going to have anything. So they need to really protect him by finding some other form of offense. Um, the Titans, I think that was a huge win for them. People, they've been kind of under the, under the radar. You know, Marcus played pretty well. They, they ran the ball well, and their defense played well. So, you know, I think that was a great win for them. Now, um, Troy, we go over to UK. Uh, Jaguars are kind of a confusing team. They – they go into Houston, 
and then they have a letdown, and all of a sudden now they got an upright, or, or did the Ravens just not show up? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, the way Jacksonville uh, played to open the season, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about this team. They were like, man, you know, they finally got it put together, and then, you know, they took a step back in week two, and then they got it back together. They really spent a lot of money on that defensive side of the ball. I mean, they bought in uh, A.J. Bouye from uh, Houston. Uh, they had uh, Calais uh, Campbell from uh, Arizona, which was a huge get. You're teaming him with Malik, uh, Malik Jackson up front. And they have, you know, a ton of draft picks out there. Um, I mean, they've drafted pretty well on the defensive side of the ball. They have guys that can really fly around on that side of the ball. And for them, I thought they matched up very well against, a, a, you know, a pretty – uh, basic and vanilla Baltimore Ravens offense, and you would have thought that the you know it, it seemed like that that the, the Jaguars they fed off of of how their defense played out there, and uh, they really just put it to they put boots to to Baltimore. I, I don't know what this is this weekend right now. I mean this past weekend, I had never seen a weekend like this in the NFL. I mean with so many surprise games. I mean just. It, <laughs> I, I, if my name was Vegas, I would have been happy because the Vegas man, they just built they just built a ton of new hotels off of this past weekend alone. I think it set a record for how many just surprise games there were, and I think this is one of them. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if Jacksonville won the game, but the way that they won the game, just completely dominating a pretty good uh, Baltimore Ravens team up and down the field, they just dominated them completely. But you know, you got to take your hats off to Jacksonville. I mean. They look like they're riding high right now. So, I mean, they're going into New York next week to, to take on the Jets. If they can start the season 3-1, this is one of those momentum-building games, especially if they can look back on and say this was the moment that we kind of put it together. Jacksonville and the Titans right now really looking like playoff teams, and they're setting themselves up pretty nice up in that division. I'll eat the Bears, take care of the Steelers. Uh, Lennon uh, wasn't impressive, but – they take care of the Steelers, but the running game by Howard and Cohen uh, really took over, and then they get the overtime win against Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, every every season the Steelers seem to have a loss where you just start scratching your head, and it seems to be one of those. I, I think the Bears, you know, had a really good game, but I'm still if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm concerned about. Uh, I'm concerned about the lack of production out of Bell. I don't know if he's still in kind of preseason mode, you know, because um, of a holdout, but he just doesn't seem to be that productive. If they Thank goodness they have uh, Antonio Brown, who's still one of the best receivers in the game, uh, or they'd be struggling even more, um, you know. But here, here's a really good football lesson. I don't know if you guys saw this play. Uh, but the Bears blocked a field goal, and the guy ran it all the way back, and he was about at like maybe three, four-yard line, and he started to slow down and celebrate, and then he got stripped, and then they, um, the Steelers punched it out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. So that's one of those celebration things that happened that maybe once a season, maybe once every other season we'll see it where a guy is running a, you know, a long playback, He's excited. He's celebrating before he even crosses the line, and he drops the ball too early, or he has something happen where somebody strips it. So that's a football lesson: never celebrate until you're actually in the end zone. 
Oh man, that that was that was horrible watching that. I, I was honestly, I saw that man. I was completely horrified. <laughs> I mean, what an idiot! I mean, listen, you try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but man, this guy's a complete fool. What are you doing? That was your first touchdown. I mean, if you got the ball, you're right there. Just run, you, you, I'm pretty sure you can. You, his forty time was excellent. He's an NFL cornerback. All right, get in the end zone. What are you doing? That's when you get there. I, I, I don't know. He, he was slowing down. You're starting to sound like a pissed off coach. What's going on with you? Oh my god, man! I was <laughs> I was watching that man, and I was at home losing it. <laughs> I, was losing it. I could not believe what I saw, man. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous how these these guys think that that they can just mock and and do this uh this thing when they, before they get to the cross the line, cross the line and then do your thing, but. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly, bad. man. I I do want to right. shout out though to uh, Terry Cohen. Uh, that that kid right there, man. Listen, he's five foot six. He's an incredible athlete out of North Carolina A and T. So I always have to big up my MEAC players uh, in the Mid Eastern Athletic Conference. Um, you know they play on the East Coast, uh, historically black colleges. Uh, so North Carolina A and T, shout out to you guys. Tariq Cohen, this guy, this kid is balling. I was so excited when he got drafted by Chicago, and I'm even more excited that they're actually using this kid because he is a weapon. And a lot of people are happy about this guy in fantasy football also. I mean, I know we're all big into that. But I'm telling you right now, this kid, man, he's, he's already a fan favorite in Chicago, so shout out to that kid for playing the way he does. And the dual matchup there, using both of them, Howard and Cohen, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. They trust them. And that's the one thing that, 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 yeah, exactly. So it's a dual effect there. So they, they, they get the win in overtime, but there you go. Um, Buffalo, Troy, the, the defense picked up uh, Simeon. And so Denver gets the, the first loss of the year. But uh, more so was, I guess, the Von Miller um, hit on Taylor that drew, you know, some stuff. But uh, was it excessive? Was it not? I mean, at this point, so it's, it's going to be, to, I guess, reviewed at this point during this week. That's what I read everywhere else. But overall, uh, Buffalo here takes care of Denver. And uh, so what does it say about the Bills here? Well, Chris Berman on ESPN, he used to always say the same. He always used to have the same. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. And it's true. I mean, these guys, you go up to, to Rich Stadium, these guys, I mean, the fan base up there – I it's the craziest fan base you'll ever see. I don't, look on YouTube and look at Bills fans when they're tailgating. These guys are doing wrestling moves in the parking lot. Uh, they're jumping on top of, uh, you know, uh, tables that are set on fire. These guys are nuts. So, you know, when they get that crowd behind them and they start making plays, that is your best friend in Buffalo. And that's what it looked like to happen. Like, you know, you, you kept those guys in the game. And you got that vaunted Denver team that comes in there. And it wasn't even cold out there, but that will tell you how, how rabid these fans are. So when you go up to Rich Stadium and you have that fan base behind you, it is a, it's an experience to watch. And they really rode the momentum behind those guys. But, listen, Shady McCoy, those guys, he's a pro. He can make plays out there. And that defense, they have some players out there. That, that can really run around. They got rid of a lot of guys, and you know, um, well, they traded a lot of guys in the off season, and also like before the season, uh, before the regular season started, and maybe there were some malcontents up there. 
But, you know, this is one of those catapult wins also. So, you know, we'll see how, you know, what kind of carryover they have. They have to go down to Atlanta this week. Um, that's always a tough place to play, especially with these guys being the defending AFC champions. We'll see if they can ride their momentum. They have a tough go down there, though, because I mean, they really match up well with them as far as defensive speed and also on offense, of course. But I like the way Buffalo played. They really got after Simeon, and uh, they made them uncomfortable. And I think that's the blueprint for anybody in the AFC West when they're trying to play that team, make Simeon uncomfortable, and then you have a chance to win because that defense is about as good as it gets. Holly, Brady almost, the, the Texans just almost take care of Brady. They take Brady down. If it wasn't for Brandon Cook's uh, 22nd catch there, uh, you got Houston. Deshaun Watson is so exciting to watch. I mean, uh, this kid is just, I, I think it's getting better weekly. He, uh, almost 300 yards, or over 300 yards, I think it was, and two touchdowns. So um, what do we say about Houston at this point? We know what New England brings week to week, but Houston, sort of a good game against uh, New England. You know, when the draft was happening, um, I know that my Niners needed some defense to help more immediately, but deep down I was really hoping that somehow we would also get uh, Watson because I just loved watching him play in college. I liked watching his demeanor, how he leads his team, and then he's also a very exciting player. And, you know, I think in the preseason he struggled a little bit. He was he was a little inconsistent. But I think he's a player. He's, he's going to learn from that. He's, he's going to get better and better every week that he plays. And so I'm glad that they're able to get him more playing time early because I think it, he's one of those players that's actually going to pay off. And um, so he's fun to watch. Their defense still has a lot of talent. I, some, you know, Houston's one of those teams that if they were more consistent, they'd be at the top of the league. But it's just they're kind of all over the place. One week they play great, and the next week they just fall off. So they need to find some cohesiveness to them. Um, and uh, Tom Brady, though, I mean, I know the Texans almost almost won, but Tom Brady had five touchdowns. So I think – he might be a little pissed about his opening week loss because he's come out on fire the last couple of weeks. And one of, one of the things I've been excited about, though, is that they're finally using Brandon Cook. Because watching this guy in college when he yeah. was at Oregon State, he is so fast. And when I watch it live, it's like even faster for some reason, it feels like. And I'm like, gosh, if they figure out how to use that kid, especially with the injuries he's had in their in their uh, receiving core, that's going to be Brady's new favorite weapon. And so they finally started to find him, uh, and it paid off in a big way for the win. Um, but, yeah, Houston's a team that they just need to be more consistent, and the Patriots showed us that, the, that they are still the Patriots. All right, uh, Troy, I'm going to go to – there's a winless team in New York, and it isn't the Jets. So I bet you Jets fans are just like, Elated right now. <laughs> so, oh, uh, man. Yeah, you know what I mean? Jets fans, so, fans are sitting on top of the world right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be laughing at that team, laughing at those, those, those uh, New York football giants. I mean, it's, that's, that's a great thing for them. Um, listen, I'm more surprised about that than anything. Um, I thought coming into this season, I thought the New York Giants were going to be the best defensive team in the NFL 
period, bar none. I mean, the way that they played last year, um, I just thought they had it going. I mean, you know, they were they were they played huge last year, and um, I thought the carryover would be seamless. And I I'm looking around like it can't just. I mean, it's not just. Of course, everyone is looking at Eric Flowers, their left tackle. He is not a very good football player. Let's just, you know, it's not not even meant some words here. He's horrible. He's a horrible player. He he has bad feet. He can't block anything. But that defense can't stop anyone right now. Um, and they have players on that side of the ball. But, you know, going back to the offense, they're completely out of sync. I mean, they couldn't run the ball last year. And you would have thought that, you know, knowing that, they would have done something to bolster that offensive line. And they didn't. They were completely stubborn with that. And so Jerry Reese, he kind of bought himself some time uh, getting their uh, their general manager. He bought himself some time uh, with the winning season and getting his team into the playoffs last year. Listen, he's back on the watch again because he really failed the Giants by not doing something with that offensive line to protect Eli Manning. And I know he's durable and he hasn't missed a game, but, man, it looks he's really – taking some shots out there and you know it was great to see them kind of get it going and I thought they would have won that game if not for a 61 yard field goal by the Eagles but man that that has to be a deflating loss for the Giants me personally I'm happy about it <laughs> my favorite team is of in the course same you're division, happy. but I'm yeah <laughs> I'm ecstatic about it but just watching them struggle mm. like that I'm I'm completely caught off guard by it because I would have thought they would have been a better team with all the firepower that they have on the offensive side and also on the defensive side but listen if you can't block anybody all of those weapons that you have on the outside at wide receiver like with OBJ for naught because he he, he has no time and he's rushing the passes he's rushing the passes out Every single time it seems like. Hi, Holly. There's probably there's probably people cursing in Detroit right now because of that. The final eight seconds uh, when Golden Tate, you know, wins. You know, he could have could have gotten the touchdown. They could have been three and zero right now, but they fall to Atlanta. So I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of happy people in Michigan right now. But overall, a good start for the Lions in terms of you know the beginning of the season. I definitely think, you know, that is a tough, tough loss, especially how it went down for them. But at the same time, they went toe-to-toe with the Falcons, so that's that's saying something. But I just want to see them do it for a longer period of time because they've had this happen, you know, a few times in the last 10 years where they get off to a decent start and they and then they just fall off. Um, but Matthew Stafford, you know, played pretty well. Um it, it's one of, it was a good game to watch And if they want to make a good run They'll have to do this consistently um, You know I'm not sure About that last call by the refs I That's really tough It was tough for me to watch it You know But there's not much you can do If you're the Lions It kind of reminds me of that play With the Seahawks and, and Green Bay A few yep. years ago Yep and and how everybody and their mother knew that it was the wrong call, but because yep. the refs made it, there's really nothing you can do. I think it was one of those things. I think it was a big win for the, for the Falcons if they're able to escape um, with a win there and start off 3 and 0. That's a big win for them as well. I think both these teams are going to be in the in the playoff race for sure, and it's just a matter of how consistent the Lions can be down the stretch. All right, Troy. Real how quick. exciting was? Go ahead. 
real quick, I'm glad you brought up that, that Green Bay play because he was the guy that caught yep. that ball. Yeah. Is it the same guy? So this, it's the same guy, yes. Yeah, no, it was that. Golden State. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's why I, I was the, I was I thought I was like the only one that was screaming. I was like poetic justice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because he knows he didn't catch that ball. He knows he didn't. Yep. But I'm sorry, you go continue, please. <laughs> no, I I'm with you, Troy. That when I saw it, I'm like, wow, <laughs> how could it happen to twice to one guy? Oh, that makes it, it even happened. better. Yeah, it happened. So. um but the Lions, you know, the Lions are a good story so far in three three weeks out. Even at two and one, they're still a good story, and they're offensively they're doing pretty well. Um, Indianapolis, Troy, Cleveland, very entertaining game. Uh, Indianapolis really needed this win after starting so bad. Um, but what does it say about Cleveland? Uh, you know what, Cleveland right now is really not interested in winning games. Um, you saw that when they kind of did another fire sale and. Uh, they got rid of Joe Hayden, you know, obviously their best corner on the team. They aren't interested in winning right now. Um, they kind of just want to fill the team and collect tickets right now until they build up the team the way they want it to do uh, with their kind of analytics that they're using, um, bringing that baseball guy over there to be the GM. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know what they're doing. I, don't, I have no idea. But I do like what they've done with Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I like what they've done uh, getting in uh, Jabril Peppers. And safety, so they are building some players out there, and they look competitive. Actually, they look competitive the last three weeks. But you know, as far as the wins, it doesn't really seem like it's that important to them. Um, I honestly believe that they would rather lose these games and then keep their draft position, you know, because they are going to look for another stalwart uh, coming up in this next draft. And um, you know, they're hoping they get a guy like Saquon Barkley. I mean, this guy he would be great. You know, with you know, running behind that offensive line, and they want to build also that offensive line back as well. They also they have Joe Thomas up there, but I like the way they looked in some spots. But you know, they they still got a ways to go. I mean, you know, they got Cincinnati uh, coming into Cleveland next week. Cincinnati needs this game big time uh, to get back on track. So um, Indianapolis, wow, I mean. What's going on with Andrew Luck? Somebody has to let me know this. I mean, because initially it started off, he wasn't going to miss any games. And then they said, oh, he's going to miss one game. Oh, maybe two games. And now it's like he's going to miss six games. They're thinking about putting him on uh, short-term injury reserve. Is his career in jeopardy? That's what I'm starting to, to really wonder because he's really taken a beat in his first two years, and it seems like it's really catching up to him. Right now, they got a stopgap in there with Jacoby Brissett. You know, they, they traded for him from New England in the offseason. I mean, um, and right after the preseason was over. And he's really just a stopgap. And then you got guys like Frank Gore who came there to play with Andrew Luck. So, I mean, I imagine how this guy's feeling right now. I just I, – I'm worried about Andrew Luck going forward. And I think that that team is as well, especially since they signed him to this huge extension. They really want to give him as much time as possible to come back healthy enough where they can possibly make a run, but they're running out of time because the guy, the other three teams in that division are really trying to put the punctuation mark uh, on the rest of the season. So in, in Indianapolis really better get their sales in gear if they still want to be competitive in their division. I, I'm you got to give Brissett credit. Tough situation to come into. He's a trooper. He comes from a very good uh, coaching pedigree, which is in, in New England. 
So I'm thinking he's going to be the guy forward because I, I really don't see luck coming back unless he comes back towards you know, late season if they're making any playoff push at all. And given what they're looking like right now, I think that's even doubtful that they're going to go into that mode. That's interesting. So Brissett, hey, you're right. you, Brissett, you know, Brissett's probably the guy now. Yeah, that's that's interesting, man. I, I honestly, I was, you know, I keep, you know, sitting back thinking that luck is going to come back, but I think you're right. If I think if they, you know, if by the time you know week six comes around and they're one and five, what's the point of putting that guy back out there? I mean, you did sign him to a very long term exactly. deal, so he's going to be there for a while. What's the rush? Let him heal up. Yeah. Let him, you know, go ahead and take this season off. Put Brissett out there, see what he can do. He can be a stopgap for you. And then also at the same time, if you are losing like that, you probably get a pretty good draft pick. And the, and the draft is pretty much loaded with offensive linemen and also running backs, two positions that they really need desperately. All right. Uh, so, Holly, I'm going to poke fun at you here. You had an opportunity to pick up Case Keenum, and you did not do it in San Francisco. So here he is in Minnesota. And I, as a former Ram fan, I can tell you, pretty durable guy when you need to a good backup. And, unfortunately, he shows up in Minnesota, and look what he did. He backs up Bradford, and here we are. Yeah, honestly, I mean, Hoyer was not my first choice in Francisco, but I think he just had the connection with uh, Shanahan. I would have preferred Keenum, uh, honestly, if you were asking me between the two. But he had a really good game against the Bucks. you know. Um, nearly 370 yards, three TDs. Um, he was good. Uh, I mean, it was a big win for the Vikings. I think offensively they have a lot of talent. I really like Dalvin Cook a lot. He's very versatile. Um, and I think the Bucks struggled. They only had 26 rushing yards the entire game. If you can't run the ball, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to win unless you're Drew Brees. And that's um, like bringing no and, beer to a party. That's pretty bad. Yeah, pretty much. And then Winston, <laughs> you know, Winston missed and had three picks, and and uh, so I think the Vikings had a really good, solid win. And the the Bucks are going to need to find their run game again, and uh, in order to to progress to see if they can make a run. Um, but yeah, good. It was a good game for for Keenum. Let's see if he can do it again. I can tell you, Keenum is similar to Bradford in a lot of ways. So offensively, in terms of changes, it didn't really do much because he did connect with Diggs plenty of times, and he's got those two weapons there. So I think Minnesota's going to be fine, even if Bradford doesn't come back soon. Okay, so guys, let's go into this anthem protest because that was really the focus point out of everything out to, to kick off the week. Um, reaction to uh, President Trump's statements about, you know, the anthem and if you're, you know, get fire players and all this other stuff that came up, plus soft football that came about. Um, so whether you like the president or not, um, I, I was kind of enlightened by Shannon Sharp because he said a, kind of something reality-based, right? Last year, Callan Kaepernick come out against social injustice and obviously inequalities in the whole state, right? And guess what happened? He gets released. He doesn't have a job. No other player, except for like maybe a handful of players, continued to, you know, they're kneeling in protest on the field. But it took the president to call these guys SOBs for either the league or the players to take action. So uh, I want everybody's opinion on here. But I also want 
not just a one-sided opinion, but we want to know how are we going to go forward to correct the issue that obviously is being portrayed and displayed in the football on the football field, you know, prior to the game, because it's obviously a big issue. And so Shannon's point was, where was everybody at when Kaepernick was up front and everybody else is over by the fence? So Troy, uh, I'll, I'll have you start first in terms of his comments. Uh, but I think he has a point. Uh, he definitely has a point. Um, he definitely does. I mean, I, I, I honestly, uh, when, when it came to the players, um, I, I'm always behind the players for doing it. Um, you know, whether it be kneeling or not standing for the anthem. And if they're doing it for social injustice, I, I'm, I'm 100% with them. Um, I'm not really, and, and maybe it's from a different vantage point, I'm not really a uh, a guy about symbols. I think symbols are, are just that. I don't think we need to worship symbols. And I just think um, I hear people saying that some people say, you know, just don't do it then, you know, do it another way. But the one thing you never hear is an alternative way of doing it. No one says, well, you should do it this way. I mean, and let's just be clear here. Um, Martin Luther King would march and he would march peacefully. Dogs were sick on him. Uh, you had water hoses sprayed on him. Uh, citizens would beat him up, you know, beat up black people for, for marching peacefully. Uh, Rosa Parks sat on a bus. I mean, you know, th- that turned ugly. Uh, people sitting in in diners that were only for whites only, that turned ugly. That turned violent. So what way does do people want someone to speak out on injustice? And let me also just reiterate what the player stance is. They're not protesting the flag. They're not necessarily protesting the anthem. What they are protesting is social injustice. This has nothing to do with them disrespecting the flag. I mean, I, I just, you know, when people try to change the narrative like that, they, that's how you get other people on your side to look at your view. But that, that's, that, that's, that's just incorrect. But the one thing I'm appalled by is that the owners decided to go ahead and take a knee. And my thing is the owners took a knee because now with Trump's statement, and it wasn't just a statement about the SLBs. I mean, everybody is really concentrating on that. What really riled up the owners is when he also said, if you see players kneeling, turn off the TV or don't, you know, don't, Watch the don't watch the NFL or don't buy tickets to the stadium. Now you're messing with the owners' money, and you're messing with money for people who donated a million dollars apiece to his campaign. And so now all of a sudden, this owner said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute! You're messing with my money now? No, 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 no! I'm going to go out there and then I'm going to have to stand, so I'm going to kneel and doing these things or whatever." But again, the question is, what? Where were you when Kaepernick? Was kneeling down to me, and, he, and I don't, I don't, no one can argue me off at this point. Okay, he, he was completely blackballed by these same guys who were out there kneeling in front of TV cameras and trying to show solidarity and statements. How about and none of them, none of them mentioned Kaepernick by name, and even though he was the abs, he was the catalyst of this whole stance in the first place, but not one of those owners mentioned him. So you know they missed me with that. You know, I'm not falling for that one. So I'll take it from the players because I believe in what they're trying to say and especially the way they're going about it. They're not just kneeling and just going about their business. They're kneeling, but they're also going out in the community. They're meeting with 
first responders. They're meeting with police officers. They're trying to figure out better ways to uh, to galvanize the communities and have a better understanding from both sides of it. Um, so, you know, I, I really wish there were there was better understanding as far as that is concerned. Now, as far as the other side of it, the other side of the aisle, if you if you'll allow me to, um, I wish. I guess, like with Trump's statement, I like it because what it did was at least it galvanized people. It brought people together. People that it was some people who you know they were they didn't they weren't necessarily happy with the kneeling, but now it's like when Trump made his statement about the SOBs, he, he I felt like he crossed the line. And so even though he did cross the line, it did bring a lot of people together in, in, in unity. You know, and and I guess in protest of what his statement was. So uh, if you're looking for a silver lining out of it, out of what he said, I think that is the biggest silver lining because everyone kind of came together on that, regardless of why they were doing it. They did come together. So Troy, I'm gonna I'm gonna just make a statement here because I personally, just on a political aspect, you don't bring it up on the show, but I will tell you right now, the only person I am disappointed in because of who I was going to vote for, the only person I'm disappointed in is Hillary Clinton because Bernie Sanders could have had a shot and we wouldn't have President Trump in his position right now given the fact that happened, but it didn't happen that way. So reality is you can hate the guy. He's only going to be here short term for four years. How do we take care of the problem? Because the problem is not going to end in four years because if we don't stop if we don't start doing something, like to your point, we got to start doing something. Because if it is that severe, and that is an issue that needs to be fixed, um, in my point of view, I don't have a problem with them kneeling. Because it's a platform, it's a big viewership, it brings more attention and more awareness. That's fine. I get it. I have no problem with it. Okay? I have no problem with it. The, the problem I have is, to Shannon's point, where was all these guys, including the owners, when Cap and Eric Reed? address that issue. So, um, Holly, let's let's go to you on that. Where were they when these two individuals stood up for it? And all of a sudden now uh, you're you're changing the 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 climate to okay, unity, unity, unity. But it's not about unity, as Troy's point is. It's about social injustice and equality in menta- in that mentality. And so we're not fixing the issue. We're we're portraying it out there. We're week to week we're showing it out there. But you know, real action to me is starts at home, starts at local. So if there is a community base in your area as a player, then that's where you need to start focusing, whether the pressure the politicians, pressure the police chiefs, pressure you know, local councilmen, whoever's available, we need to start doing that first and take care of it in those areas because nationwide you can make it a, a statement, but it's not going to change much unless you go local. So what's your point? Uh, so the couple points. Um, I'll start with the with the Shannon comment. I think what you're seeing or what you saw this weekend is that football is family. And I think you had a lot of players and, and owners who might have either uh, you know, quietly agreed with Kaepernick but weren't willing to put themselves out there. Or maybe they didn't agree with Kaepernick, and, but they agreed with his right to, to go out and protest. So, and then there's might be, there might be even a few that didn't like it either. 
But I think what happened is when Trump said those things, it attacked football players and the entire sport in a way that galvanized everybody together. And so I think what you saw is the owners going out there, uh, like like Troy said, they wanted to, to make a point of, hey, you know, this you're you're messing with something bigger than 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 what they previously may have thought. The owners may have looked at Kaepernick as somebody that was trying to instigate trouble. They might not have understood the real reason for his protest. And I don't know if they do or not now, but I know that they they have they now are more aware because you had somebody like Trump to try to call him out on it. And I think a lot of players were offended from Trump's uh, statements because it made it made football players seem like they were just a bunch of dumb people that didn't understand anything. And that is infuriating to uh, a football player and anybody associated with the sport because it's not true. And I think what happens is that the public tends to forget that these are human beings and they all have their own emotions, they have their opinions, they don't always express them as as much as they probably would like because of the social media environment that we live in, but they all have their rights to their opinions and they're not just dumb football players running around hitting each other. They have every every right to have their own opinion. And I think that's what really galvanized the football world and why you saw the reaction that you did. And, you know, I think on the one hand, you saw a lot of unity on that side, but then you also saw a lot of backlash on the other side. And so I think on the one hand, there's some unity. On the other hand, there's a lot more division as far as the uh, the main divide got bigger. Um, and something that's been very frustrating to me is when I feed people that get really upset about the flag, like Troy, I, I view it as a symbol because it, it's a flag. There were there were flags in the past that also had meanings that were not so great. You know, when you see a swastika, it doesn't usually make you feel uh, great, fluffy, awesome things. At least it shouldn't be. At least I hope not. But the symbol is not the problem. It's what you associate the symbol with. And and I think people don't understand the difference between cultism and patriotism patriotism and to be a patriot is to really be concerned for the well-being of your fellow American at least that's how I view it and a lot of people are so stuck on the symbol that they're falling into the camp of cultism and so throughout history you have a lot of examples of how that's really bad you see it you know through the history with Nazis you see it with Mao with Stalin you see it now with North Korea in North Korea they have no freedom of speech and everybody thinks that their leader is basically a godlike figure, and they worship everything he does, basically. And so that is cultism, and it's a very slippery slope between the two. And I think as Americans, there are people that don't know the line, and they don't understand that being a patriot actually means that you're willing to call things into question because you want your country to be better, and then that's actually a good thing. And also to, to uh, bring up another point, protest is not meant to be polite. It's meant to get Thank your you. attention, to to draw attention to an issue that's at hand. If protest was polite, nothing would happen. I mean, if you look at the history 
of why we have 40-hour work weeks and why we don't have child labor and why we have all these awesome uh, labor laws now in place to make sure that our workers are, are happy and well taken care of. That was through a lot of blood, sweat, and literal tears from the, the union workers and the teamsters and people that protested in the streets to get those rights. And it's like people forget that all these rights that we have, somebody somewhere protested something. And when we wanted to create a country, we threw the tea in the harbor, and 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 we and then it's like it's like if you uh, equate the tea in the harbor to this situation, it's like throwing the tea in the harbor and saying, "God damn it!" But the tea's really good. You're missing the point. It's the the point is they didn't want to be taxed without representation, and they were trying to they were trying to break away from tyranny. And so there's a lot of people in this country that still don't get the difference. And another point that I want to bring up is back to the humanization. I think a lot of people that are stuck on the white privilege side of the fence don't understand that these are human beings. And it it floors me that they don't get that if your fellow human being is upset and in pain and bleeding on the street, why would you not want to help them? I don't get why that's a bad thing. And it's like they're so blinded by not understanding this other person's pain, and they won't listen. They're not sitting there like, hey, what's wrong? I want to fix this. I want to help. I want to try to make this better. They're just spending all that time deflecting, 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 because it's easier for them to stay on that side of fence than it is to actually have the courage to address it. And I think even though these, uh, you know, events over the last weekend have been very stressful for a lot of people, I'm hoping that maybe eventually it will start to wake people up, but that's probably going to be a long process. Like like you said, Oscar, that's going to take a lot of grassroots effort on the political side, but at the same time, I totally agree with the, the player's right to do it. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to link, if you want to sing the national anthem, if you want to be in the locker room, I don't care as long as you're true to who you are and what you believe, that's your right because that's what our First Amendment is. And and I think we need to protect that. And the final point that I'll make is that it made me kind of laugh in a really weird way that Trump is saying that these players should be fired, and yet this man has said so many awful things about so many people that if you're going to hold these players to that standard, Trump should have been fired like they like affinity in one. Like he should have been gone a long time ago. There is no reason for the president of this country to not hold up the First Amendment, especially when he is in this entirely huge glass house. It just made me it kind of was so mad it made me kinda of laugh. So there's my little rant. Okay. So, the message has been um, paid for by <laughs> Yeah, no. What I'm saying to you, what I'm saying to you guys is really simple. I have so much, I wouldn't say hate, but a dislike for Hillary right now because she's parading out there saying it's everybody else's fault except for mine. And guess who put her former best friend in the White House? She did. She's the one that threw the election. I don't care about the popular vote. Let me just be clear on that. Popular votes do not win elections. You know, uh, President Obama did not win the election on a popular vote. He won on an electoral college vote. President Bush didn't win it. 
Clinton didn't win it. So, you know, get off the popular vote. Get real. So if anybody's going to be mad, I am not happy with the fact that she, knowing that probably Bernie was the better candidate to not have, you know, our current president in the White House, that's the person that I, you know, but that's a political soapbox that uh, I'll get off of that. But anyways, for, 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 for football purposes, I think the players, my solution to the players is, yes, start at the, uh, in your own communities, grassroots levels. If there is injustices and inequalities of any sort, you've got to take it through the political realm. Nothing changes unless you go there to the attorney generals, to the, you know, the local councilmen. I don't, I don't know how many times I've sat in city council meetings and there's decisions made locally that you're not even aware of until you see, like, your paycheck come up and go, what, what's that tax for? And then all of a sudden there's another tax. And you're like, what the hell is this tax for? And so I think that's where it needs to start. It needs to start. And I think uh, Shannon was correct. The fact that they have left Cap and Eric Reed to themselves, these guys were on the fence. In order for them to make it right, they got to start committing to the cause. You know, the cause was not unity. That's just a, a veil. The cause was in social, social injustices and inequality. And I think some of those players, if you saw the interview on some of those players, and Troy, you can speak to this, some of the players didn't even have a clue. They, they were just mad because the president said they were SOBs. But they didn't really also didn't understand wh- what is at stake. And so I think they need to really understand why Eric Reed and Callan Kaepernick did what they did and why uh, Kaepernick is no longer you know, even on a roster in the NFL. Well, I just think a couple things. Um, I think a lot of the other players didn't do what Kaepernick did because they saw how they saw what was done to Colin Kaepernick. Um, so these guys are on the inside. They're on the inside. So they saw this coming, I believe. I believe they saw the black ball coming. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, even the fans, you know, when that was part of the talking points of – you know, when he came out um, and did the stance that, you know, a lot of us were sitting there saying, man, he's done. Especially after he had like a, a, you know, kind of a subpar year the previous year. And we were sitting there saying, he's done. You know, is he is he even going to get another chance? So, I mean, the, the you know, we were already starting to talk about that. So these guys were afraid that it was going to happen to them, except for more established players. I mean, like a guy like Brandon Marshall, um, you know, he had already had his contract finalized, so, I mean, he didn't have anything to lose. Um, uh, the Bennett brothers, same thing with them, you know, except for uh, uh, Martellus Bennett. He was on a one-year contract, but I just think they were afraid of it. But then it was like, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, if you're going to do something, you'd be like, wait a minute, I mean, I want to do it, but are you going to do it too? Because, I mean, if you're not going to do it, I, I don't know if I want to do it. Oh, so we're all doing it? Oh, okay, all right, let's go out there and do it. That's what it looked like to me, you know. So I, I just, you know, I, I I appreciated the fact that they did it, and I think that I like that they did it because they shook up, you know, um, and they did it to in defiance of Trump. But it just seemed, it just didn't, it was it was very off-putting for me, at least from the owner's standpoint, um, but and, and a little bit from the player's standpoint, because I agree, where were these guys when Kaepernick? Uh, was out there, and he was basically lone wolf in this thing. So I wish they would have been there, um, you know, from the jump. 
Yeah, that's the one point I make. You know, it's not – it's really – if you're going to make – a I come from a military aspect of it. If you're going to go to combat for something that you stand for, you need to go all out. But when you got, you know, okay, we got a platoon of five, and only one of them is going to show up with the armor and fire, that just, it's not going to get the job done. It's not. You're going to be massacred. So if the mission is this great, some of these players, like, to your point, they got to rethink all that. And, and like I said, I don't agree with Shannon Shop all the time. I think he's a great football player, but – all that, but this week I had to agree with him. Unimpressed, as he claimed, and obviously that was the issue. And I think hopefully his statement will wake them up to be more active in their communities and make a commitment to what Cap and Eric Reed were trying to make a statement on. So, um, Holly, any last what? points on it? Or I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, sorry. No, wait, uh, please. I I think. I think you guys are right. I think the interesting thing will be, what do people do this weekend? Is it is it, is it some more um, mindset? Are less people going to um, protest? Um, is it somebody that's going to last an entire season? I think what's going to be more telling is what happens after this. And, um, and I'm hoping that uh, it pays off and that people will get more involved. Uh, but we're, we're going to have to wait and see on that. The other thing that I don't know if you guys saw is that um, I saw an interview with Michael Bennett that he uh, uh, was on with Anderson Cooper, and he said that he wanted to meet Trump. And um, I would love to be a fly on the wall if that ever did happen, because that'd be a very interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> well, of course, awesome. of course, you would love to be there. <laughs> 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 hey, I, I, I did. I did want to make one point uh, as far as uh, uh, how this is going to continue and uh, some of the fallout from it. Like it was one story that I read today, where Von Miller, he already lost a sponsorship, and it was you know it was, it was a local sponsorship from a Ford dealership, and so uh, the guy came out and he said I had to do it, and he was just like, and you know he got a little bit of backlash about it, but he was very transparent about it. He said, listen. You know, I'm a small car dealership. Um, we had Von Miller do some uh, commercial spots for us. We had our customers calling and saying that they would not buy from us unless we didn't, um, unless we dropped Von Miller as a sponsor. And so you see that from, you know, the smaller ones, the local ones. Uh, are you going to see something like that from Adidas or Pepsi or? Are you going to see those kind of guys start to back off and do the same thing? And, and listen, it's also not just in the NFL now. I mean, because with Trump's statement, he dragged the NBA into it. So now, you know, Golden State, you know, Steph Curry said he wasn't going to go. Trump said, okay, well, your whole team can't go. And then Trump is dragging all these other places and the other uh, sports into it. He dragged NASCAR into it. And my guy, uh, Dale Jr., he came out in support of the NFL players and and also uh, a, a stance uh, to to defy Trump. I mean, is it going to happen in the NHL? I mean, who knows? I mean, this thing is starting to get big. It's really starting to get um, uh, more of a focus than it already has. And I felt like it already dominated a lot of the headlines pretty much every day with some people – uh, some fans saying that they're not going to watch and they're going to do that in in um, in protest because Colin Kaepernick is being blackballed. 
this is this is gonna this is not gonna be the end of it this weekend. Okay, it's not gonna be the end of it. I think it's gonna be the very beginning. Are there gonna be some players that are, you know kind of back off their stance to stand for the national anthem? Absolutely, but it's gonna be a whole lot more people than it used to be, um, kind of in defiance or if you will, or taking a knee, or uh, whatever their stance would be, other than standing up, putting their hand over their heart during the national anthem. And me personally, I think it's a great thing. I think they should just keep this going until we affect some kind of change. Why not? Shake up the status quo. All right. Uh, I, Corey, I'm, I'm going to go ahead, Holly. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to, I forgot one more thing. I don't know if you, speaking of the NBA, I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, you know, uh, Trump, Uh, tweeted out how he was upset with Steph Curry for not wanting to visit the White House. Did you guys see LeBron's response to that? Because it made me laugh so hard. I had tears. And basically, like, (laughs) LeBron was like, my favorite part was, like, LeBron opened with, you bum. And I don't know, it's just like, it's a term that, like, reminds me of, like, the 20s in New York or something. He's like, you bum. It, you can't take away an invite when Steph Curry already said he's not going. It's like, which is totally, it's totally true. Like if if you invited me and I'm like, oh no, I can't go. You can't turn around and be like, oh, you're uninvited. I just said I'm not going. You can't uninvite me yeah. when I already uninvited myself. I yeah, it listen, made me laugh. Hey, li- listen here. If you're too focused on the guy in the Oval Office, you're you got issues. That's all I got to tell you, because he already owns a network that he doesn't even pay for. I mean, I, I turn on my television, and it's Trump language 24-7. So to me, that's paranoia. It's like this guy's gotten to everybody, and he doesn't have to pay for any advertising. So uh, on that side, you got to say he's a genius, I guess, in a way. But wouldn't it be ironic, Troy or Ollie, if because of what he just did, that we do cure social injustice and inequality? Do we give him credit then? No. No. No, I don't. I don't think it would be fair to give him that credit because he's not. He's not doing it with the intent to make things better. He's doing it, like you said, because he. He's his. Basically, he's this child. He's a child bully who wants attention, and he'll do whatever it takes to be the center of attention. So he's not doing it to help people. He's doing it because he wants the attention. Right. So, I mean, uh, some people, sorry. some people call him, some people call him Hitler. I mean, Hitler actually went out and did some things. This guy hasn't done anything but just sit around tweeting all day. He's more like Joffrey from uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, this guy's just, <laughs> I don't know, he's he's a child. He's he's such a child, and just uh, you know, I, I don't like the guy personally. And I, I personally, I couldn't give him credit for that because, again, just like I always said, his intent wasn't to do that. His intent was to divide. And just be a, a, an internet troll, you know. Even in his seventies, I, I just don't understand the guy. But no, he doesn't get any credit for that. All right. So I mean, I know you guys probably won't agree with me, but ever since he got into office, if you check social media, I can tell you this guy's been berated probably worse off than any other president that I've known of. Okay, worse off. Uh, and I've only known like four presidents. So I, could, I couldn't go back in history. Uh, uh, Holly, you're the history buff, so you can tell me if any other president has been completely berated like he has. So uh, in that way, I don't know. But anyways, um, I want to start a, uh, a hashtag. I want to start a hashtag that says hashtag thank Hillary for putting 
Trumpster, if you want to call him that, in the Oval Office, because that's where my stance is. This this woman, when she shafted Bernie, I'll leave it my political soapbox after this, but when she shafted Bernie, there you go. Just To me, it was just big ego, selfish, because if she wanted to do right for the country, we probably would not have what we have in D.C. right now. So I'll leave it at that. Um, any 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 other final points? Because obviously it's a real topic, and I know our listeners obviously delved into it for week three. So I'll give you guys one more minute if you guys want to, you know, end it on a final note or anything like that. Um, well, my final point would be, again, let me just reiterate: no one is protesting the flag. What we're, what they're doing is they are protesting social injustice. When you have another side of it that tries to change the narrative to something more nefarious than it is, you have to question what those people's intent is, okay? So my thing is that if if you can show on TV and you've seen plenty of films where a police officer is killing a young black male or young just anyone, you know, you've seen it in, in all races, okay? So I'm, we're not just sitting back saying it's just against black people. We're talking about police brutality, okay? But we've seen this several times over where someone is getting shot by the police and they're unarmed. We've seen people shot with their hands up. You've seen children being killed by police. And all we're simply saying is, is can, we, can we please have this stop? We shouldn't have to fear for our lives every time we see lights and sirens behind us. I know I do. And I have three young boys. And so my thing is I'm afraid of it because I'm not always going to be there to protect them, especially when they get older and when they start driving or if they're walking down the street or if they're just coming from somewhere being accosted by somebody or somebody accuses them of doing something or somebody thinks they're going to do something. And I'll, and I'll use this quick story just tonight, okay, before I got on air tonight. I'm jogging down the street. You know, I have my earphones on. I have my running shoes on. I got a blinking light on my arm. I'm jogging down the street, and someone looks at me, and, you know, I I just, you know, I don't even notice it. I just wave, and I keep going. But then I get pulled over by the police, and the guy asked me, where where, where am I going? I'm like, I'm jogging. And he was like, oh, sorry about that. Sorry, I'm looking for someone else, and then he drives off. But it's just that kind of thing, you know? And when he pulled when he pulled up and he flashed the lights, my heart jumped out of my chest. This is a true story. I shouldn't have to feel like that as a citizen. You know, when I was watching TV as a kid, I thought cops were cool. Hell, yeah. I wanted to be a cop. You always used to see buddy cop movies. I mean, every single movie in the, in the 80s was a buddy cop movie, it seemed like, you know. But now it's like when I see police or I hear police, I have a different feeling. It's not. It's not about you know, and and I'm not sitting back saying all cops are bad, because well I'll go out of my way, especially when I'm with my children. I go out of my way to go up to an officer and say, hey, officer, how's it going? How's your day going? And then before I leave, I say, be safe. And I want my children to see that, but I also want him to see me with my children because I feel like any time that I have an interaction with someone, uh, or the police or of any opposite race, I feel like I need to at least sit back and say. You know, please look at me like I'm a citizen. That's all I ask for. I'm not asking, I don't need any money from you. I don't need you to come out and do anything for me. 
All I'm asking is to be treated the same as you as anybody else. That's all we ask for. I don't think that's that bad. So when I hear people come out against the stance, I have to wonder what their intent is in the first place. And I think most people who are on the side of what we're saying as far as, like, you know, protesting the social injustice, we wonder that too. And that really adds to the divide because we cannot understand how you cannot see how we feel this way. So I'm off my soapbox there. No, you're fine. I mean, you, like I said, we're, we're all, we're all uh, going to make a form of this because it obviously it's something that was focused this week, but it's going to be a bigger issue and we've talked about it. Holly, any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, just to, to uh, go off of what Troy was saying, it's it's very – I definitely have that feeling when I've seen people, uh, you know, get really upset about the flag and all that. It makes me really question who they are because it's the same thing that I was talking about before. It's a humanization of a, of a group of people. And, and I, I think – when it comes to police brutality, a lot of these situations are very uh, stressful and tense. And what happens is that these cops are reacting in that moment and they're in survival mode. But the problem is not necessarily they're in survival mode. The problem is their fear is what's guiding them. And where is that fear coming? It's because they don't trust. African-American people. And the question that we really need to answer is why, how do we fix that? So when Troy is jogging down the street and he's being stopped, it's, it's because there's that fear. And so when somebody is, is trying to say that they're protecting the flag rather than trying to protect their fellow American, it's very hard for me to stomach because it's almost like they see you know, this entire race of people as a black and white, not to make a pun, statistic on a sheet, of a piece of paper, because it doesn't directly affect them, because maybe they don't see it directly in their day-to-day life, so they think that it doesn't exist, and they think that it's all like media and quote-unquote fake news and all this stuff, which I absolutely hate that term, by the way. But um, it just, I, I feel like they hide behind their insecurity by deflecting, deflecting, deflecting because they, they deep down don't think, I really think a lot of these people do know that there's a problem, but they don't want to face it because that would, that would be, or it would require them to have courage enough to be like, hey, this is messed up and I'm part of the problem. And I think that they don't want to do that. So they, they, they come at you with like statistics and they, they come at you with oh, God, this one really upset me earlier this week where somebody was like, oh, the black and black crime and, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, where are you coming up? Like, why? Like, if if a, if a white gentleman was, was in the street bleeding, I would not think twice to go and try to help him. I would not be like, oh, some other white guy shot another white guy in another state five years ago, so I'm not going to help you. Like, it's, that's the kind of argument they're, they're using, and it very, it's very hard for me to stomach and understand. And so I think the challenge will be is we're very – I think we're starting to get a lot more unified on, on this side of the fence, but I think the other side of the fence, that divide between the two sides has gotten deeper, and I think it's going to be a challenge to try to cross that divide because that's what we really need to do is I feel like 
this country never really fully healed from slavery. It never really fully healed from civil rights. It just buried it and tried to, like, sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't exist. And I feel like that's why all these things are still around and even getting worse is because we never dealt with the core issue. And until we do, it's still going to be an issue. So my hope, you know, as as – as a citizen of this country, is that we find a way to to uh, solve that issue. All right, I'm gonna just make my final point. Go to your local your local politician. Hold these people accountable, especially if you're living in an area where it's extreme, dangerous situations. The police precinct, bad cops, bad apples, whatever. Nothing's going to change with you going on the streets. The only people that can make change is your local city people, your attorney generals, everybody that has an upper arm of, that can bend it and change it. And if you don't do that first, everything else is not right. You're, you're wasting time. And I've seen it firsthand. As a military guy, when you, st- when you stand up to somebody in the city council, the mayor, or anybody else that is responsible for making sure that things get corrected, when you stand up to them, I will tell you right now, they shiver in fear. You know why? Because they go on votes with their term, and they only care about votes at that time. And then once the votes are tallied, they have no action plan to correct any of the issues that they talked about. And that's where I hold people accountable. The issues that you talked about that you were going to fix, get, get to fixing. And unfortunately, we don't do that enough. I think that's where the NFL players should start, the commitment in their communities, and go in their faces to the politicians who can take action, who can make a difference, and who can make the changes. So um, let's go into college football. So, Troy, um, we already knew Alabama was going to be here. Um, Oklahoma barely gets out of Waco. Um, They beat Vanderbilt 59-0 or whatever. But uh, Oklahoma, um, they beat Baylor 49-41. So what do we say about them right now? I'm sorry, you said about Oklahoma? Yeah, Oklahoma. Because, I mean, they, they almost got beat by Baylor. 49-41, uh, if my notes are correct here. Um, so, mm-hmm. I know we, we, we know Alabama's got to beat Vanderbilt. That's just a given. But what do we say about Oklahoma here? Well, I, I just think with Oklahoma, I, I really don't hold games like that against them. Uh, number one, these these kids – uh, they're they're you know they're they're going to be inconsistent, and not to mention what they were doing was playing a division opponent. Now Baylor was mm-hmm. down, Baylor is down this year, so Baylor was zero and three coming into this game, and so this is what you call a, a classic trap game, and so uh, maybe Oklahoma came in there a little bit lax. Um, but listen, Baylor, you know, over the years always had a high scoring offense. Um, this year they have really taken some steps back with their program has been decimated with firings on the coaching staff and players being kicked off the team and players wanting to transfer. They lost a lot of the, the bulk of their uh, recruiting classes that they've had over the years to a lot of scandalous things. So you kind of expect – you didn't expect they were to come out there uh, swinging, and they did. So you got to take your hats off to that team uh, for them coming out the way that they did. But – I just think Oklahoma, in the end, they got it together. And when it comes down to college football, it's, it's basic math, survive and advance. As long as you get that win, um, you know, they will forgive you going forward. 
but it was just, you know, they came out of there lucky. I mean, because they could have very easily lost that game. But I still think that they are one of the top teams in the nation. Baker Mayfield is not going to fall off. That guy, is a, he's, a, he's a baller. Um, and he is an absolute leader out there. Just So just watching him and the way he plays with all the passion that he does, I just think as long as they have him out there, they always have a chance to win. So they're still in the picture. They're still in the hunt for the playoffs and also for the national championship picture. Did we lose Oscar? Yeah, it looks like we did. Um, but, you know, um, can you hear me now? One of the biggest games. Oh, yeah, there you are. We can hear you now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was about no to problem. go on to the uh, T. I was going to go on to that TCU Oklahoma State game, man, because I was <laughs> I was chomping at the bit to get to that one. Let's do that, Troy. Let's do that one. Holly, did you watch that game? Did you check that game out? I watched uh, part of it, and then I was able to catch the the um, highlights. But it looked like a really fun game to watch. <laughs> What did you think of it? Yeah. Oh, it was it was it was one of those games where, you know, Oklahoma State uh they had thrust themselves into the national spotlight. Um, you know, you started to get a, a Heisman trophy candidate and uh, and Mason Rudolph. Um he struggled a little bit in that game. And I thought going into it, TCU would give them problems because Gary Patterson, who was known as a defensive guy, he always had great defenses um, down there uh, for the Horn Frogs, and this year wasn't any different. I mean, they slowed down Oklahoma State enough where they really started to cause them problems. And also what they did was they got that running game going. Darius Anderson came out there. He had 160 yards rushing. He had three touchdowns. But they really limited Mason Rudolph. I thought that was the biggest thing. They couldn't really slow down James Washington, who, again, I'll reiterate this again, I think he's the best wide receiver in the country. He's better than Dez Bryant was at Oklahoma State. Um, so, they, you know, he had a big game, but they really slowed down Oklahoma State enough in Stillwater to really get that win. So, for them to come up with that win, they have knocked Oklahoma State out of the Big 12 championship uh, question, and they thrust themselves up there to the, to the top spot. Um, so they're really going, they're competing with Oklahoma right now. Now it's not over for Oklahoma State. That's only one loss, and there's many a slip between a cup and a lip. But what TCU has done, especially out there with Kenny Hill Jr., who transferred in from Texas A&M, he's really got that team solidified. They needed to get it solid at the quarterback position, and now that they have that along with that defense, TCU starting to look really scary going up to the rest of the season. Yeah, I thought, you know, basically TCU, the other thing that they did really well is they, they took advantage of Oklahoma State turnovers. And, you know, Oklahoma State came out really strong, and they had a, I think it was 86-yard bomb to, to James Washington. And it looked like a back-and-forth game, but I think what really sold it for TCU was when Oklahoma State, uh, had a couple turnovers, they were able to convert into points, and that was what kind of separated them um, in the later part of the game. But you're right, TC was kind of under the radar, and now they've kind of put themselves uh, in a really good position. And as we know with the college football at the end of the, the playoff, at the end of the year, yeah, I mean, you, you win, you, you definitely put yourself in good position. 
But the the closer you are to the top, the more big type wins that you have at the end, the better your resume looks and the better position you're going to put yourself in. So this was definitely a crown jewel of the TCU season, and if they can uh, build on that, they might be able to put themselves uh, as a dark horse for that playoff race. What do we say about Notre Dame being back in the top in the rankings? Ah, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Yeah, huh? uh, I just you know this 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 country and with the NCAA, they have this love affair with Notre Dame that honestly I will never understand. I just, I really don't get it. Notre Dame is not a top 25 team. They they aren't. Um they have some players on that side of the ball on on both sides of the ball, but when it comes to rankings, I, I just you know, I don't I don't see it. They they they're very inconsistent and they have a coach and um and Kelly who really plays the blame game a lot. I mean, nothing is ever his fault. Nothing is ever his fault. I've never heard this guy come out and say, you know, this is on me. He was just like, oh, you know, I need to – Oh, I, the reason why we lost last year is because I needed to concentrate more on on uh, being a head coach, and I kind of got away from X's and O's, but now I'm going to take it over. As if he's saying, well, it was the other guys that were coaching the offense. That's why we struggled. Now I'm going to coach it, and we're going to be better. You know, I just hey, I don't I like Jeff the way Fisher. Their, their body language is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just don't like the way they look. I don't like the body language of that team. Um, you know, they're going to they're going to win some games. Obviously, I mean, they have a few games on the schedule that they're going to they're going to capitalize on. And likely, if they win at least six games, of course, somebody's going to invite them to a bowl. But right, really, on the grand scheme of things, when it comes to the upper echelon teams, Notre Dame is not really going to be a factor this year. I agree. I don't know what it is either, and I've always had the same where I just don't understand the love affair with Notre Dame. I mean, it's it's like <laughs> if Notre Dame is even, like, mediocre, the national media goes crazy, and they're like, oh, they're going to go undefeated, or, oh, they're like my new national pick to, to win everything, and and it's not. Oh yeah, you're more angry because Oregon was was dropped off. Am I am I sensing no, you're angry because Oregon to, was dropped off? No, I'll, I'll <laughs> get to that in a second. That's a that's a separate <laughs> But Notre Dame, I think what happens is it, it, it's like the everybody is living off the past in Notre Dame, and I actually think it hurts them because when they are in the in the rankings or or the heights they get, it's not deserved. And so I think they get the, the uh, horse in front of the car and they end up toppling over. And I think it would be better served not to have that hype with them. It's like they're the Cowboys. We, even when the Cowboys are horrible, everybody's talking about the Cowboys and it gets really annoying really, really quick. But it's like every year if Notre Dame wins two games, oh, my gosh, they're a top 20 team. No, they're not. <laughs> they they haven't really played anybody. And, and I just – it's just really annoying to me. But Oregon, you know, that game was basically what you would call a young team on the road. Arizona yeah. State had Arizona State had their backs against the walls. They they played horribly all season, and you know, watching Arizona State's energy 
they came out on the fire. They they had an onside kick in the first quarter because they're that desperate to get a win. And I think what Oregon had happen is that we have – I don't think people realize how young we are, but we have a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores in key places. And so when you have a young team on the road in, in the heat of Arizona – and it's basically you're taking body blows and you're taking that, that team's best shot. And the good teams and the more mature team will know how to take that shot and then counter back and put the team out, out, of, out of contention. But Oregon kind of got behind the, the, the eight ball, and to the credit, they did battle back and make it a game. Um, but honestly, the quarterback uh, for ASU, uh, Manny, I think his name is Wilkins, had the game of his yep. life. I don't know if you guys watched the passes he had with his receiver, Harry, but they were NFL-level throws, and it was with people hanging all over him, and it was on the sidelines, oh, yeah. and he, he got his, his feet in bounds, and it was just like, it was just their night. And, you know, I think Oregon is it, going to be a, a lesson for them. No, I mean, it definitely was disappointing to lose, especially because we, we came back and, and had a lead for a minute. But at the same time, I'm realistic, and I know that with the recruiting classes we have coming in in the next couple of years, we're going to be very good in a couple of years. So anything we do this year for me is gravy. So as long as if we get to a bowl game, I'm happy this year because we're going to build on that in the next couple of years. So I think it's just a young team is what we have. But that's my that's my little Oregon rant. Well, I know I, I agree with you because it's it's sort of like. Uh, the NC State, you know, Florida losing to NC State 21, uh, 27-21. So that throws them right out of the ranking. And they haven't been out of the ranking since, I think, 2011, if I'm correct. So that's right there. There's an issue. And, Troy, you spoke to that as well, that they they had to get better, and now they're dropped off. So Yeah, and, um, you know, they have a true freshman quarterback back there um, after uh, DeAndre Francois went down. Uh, so, um yeah, Black, he he was back there. I didn't realize until I saw him pregame warm-ups. I didn't know how frail that kid is. I mean, he's six oh, yeah. foot five, but he's 169 pounds. I mean, he is a beanpole out there, man. I mean, and he was getting ragged on. It was not easy. I mean, you know, Chubb from NC State. I mean, he's, he's going to see him in his sleep for weeks. Because he really got after him and, and you know, punched the ball out, you know, uh, uh, once. And he sacked him so many times, hurried him plenty of times. He really made that Florida State offense look uncomfortable. And I just think that NC State, you know, they made the plays that they needed to make. But that Florida State, I think they were really hurt by um, not being able to play that Miami game uh, because of the hurricane that came into Florida. So I really think that that's gonna, that hurt them going forward because they really didn't get a chance to um, they didn't really get a chance to, to play a live game. And he hadn't even thrown a pass. He didn't throw a pass in the Alabama game after DeAndre Francois was hurt. And so his first pass was against NC State. It's a hell of a position to put that young kid in. But I mean that's just you know that's the nature of the business as they say. Um, but yeah, I mean I think going forward he'll be better. Um, uh, you know, he's de- hopefully hopefully he puts some weight on him next season. Man, he really scared me out there. I mean, I don't know if you guys seen this kid in pads. It, it, it's I've never seen that before. A guy that's six foot five playing quarterback that's one hundred sixty nine pounds. Uh, but they really kind of took it to him, and they they wanted to get to him and put him on the ground a lot. 
and that was NC State's game plan, and it worked to perfection out there. They went, they ended up getting the win. All right, so the Heisman, the Heisman running uh, the top five, I don't think changes much at this point, but oh, uh, yes, we does. are. Does it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, if you if you guys didn't get a chance to see that game in uh, in uh, Iowa City this this uh, on Saturday, for Penn State, Saquon Barkley, this kid was he's right now he's the absolute best player in college football. He can he can he rushed for two hundred over two hundred and twenty yards, and he also had uh, ninety eight yards receiving. He was. I hadn't seen a kid running like that since maybe, uh, I would say, Barry Sanders. I mean, his quickness, he has speed, he has power, he, you know, hurdling guys, he can block out of the backfield. This guy, I mean, to me, he went from possibly being the fourth or third in the Heisman race, vaulting up to number one. He's the absolute best player in the nation right now, bar none. So going forward, he's definitely going to have the spotlight on him and not to mention it was a great thing for them to make that huge comeback because it is a tough thing to do is to beat Iowa in Iowa on a night game. It's just something about Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes in the night game. The Michigan Wolverines can attest to it last year when they lost to them 13-12, derailed them from the playoffs because they went into Ohio State and lost again the next week. So it's always something against when it comes to Iowa playing a top-five team. They usually get it done, and for Trace McSorley – to throw that pass in the back of the end zone, lead his team down the field, also along with Saquon Barkley making huge plays. But to to score that play on the final play of the game was absolutely amazing. That was a Heisman moment if you've ever seen one before. Keep your eye on Saquon Barkley for the rest of the season because I think this game probably vaults him into the Heisman winner if he can keep up this kind of effort. All right. Um, If I go away for whatever reason – it's not because I want to. It's because, man, the switchboard's been bad all day. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Anyways, um, we were going to have Odessa uh, Jenkins on, but she had a meeting to go to, and she was trying to get into to come on. I haven't seen her on the switchboard yet. So um, if you, if she doesn't come on today for whatever reason, no big deal. We will go ahead and reschedule, and we always love her on. So we will go do that because I know she's got business first and us after so it's not a big deal and we'll kind of make up that if that's the case but if she does come on within the next couple minutes here we'll go ahead and take care of that um so let's see here let's go into the uh women's recaps or actually um before we do that troy uh top three games that we need to watch for Did we lose Troy? Hey, you guys hear me? Are you guys there? Yes. Okay, so yep. you guys okay, can hear me? I got, I got you now. Yep, I got you All right, you now. perfect, perfect. All right. Okay. Um, top so three games in first, college football. All right, so the first game that um, everyone really needs to pay attention to is number two Clemson at number 12 Virginia Tech. This game will be in Blacksburg. Now, Clemson is coming off that huge win against Louisville. Right now, that team looks like a freight train. I mean, they have it all. They have, you know, speedy defense. They have an offense that can score at will. They really just kind of made it look easy going into Louisville and winning that game. 
a lot of people aren't really giving Virginia Tech a lot of um, uh, they're not giving them much of a chance. But listen, there's a lot of magic that comes out of Lane Stadium. So when you're playing Virginia Tech, the way that these guys can can get it up and down the field, they still have Beamer ball, and they can still play defense. So the way that they scheme on the defensive side of the ball is going to be very key in this game. If they can make Clemson uncomfortable as far as from the quarterback position and stopping the rush, um, you got, you know, guys out there like Ray Ray uh, at the wide receiver position. He's their big play guy. If they can slow these guys down, they, I think that Virginia Tech has a very good chance of getting an upset, but that's a huge if because, as I said, that team is, is stacked top to bottom. The other game that I want people to pay attention to is uh, on Friday, you have USC Washington State. Now this game is also going to be in this this game is going to be in Pullman. Washington State is really underrated right now. Everyone's really paying attention to to USC and um, you know uh, you know their kid that they have out there throwing the ball around. I mean he's 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 a, he's a great quarterback. There's no doubt about it. But do not sleep. On this Washington, on this Washington State team, Luke Falk right now is playing lights out. Right now, he has 14 touchdowns um, in four games, and and they're undefeated. So, again, we talked a little bit about last week about Mike Leach. This is some of that Mike Leach Leach magic that you got to look out for. This is going to be a huge game. So, I mean, this this could be one of those games where USC either solidifies itself as a top five team or they come off as a fraud because they make a lot of mistakes on the offensive side of the ball. So, Sam Darnold for USC, their quarterback, he's really going to have to, you know, cut down on the turnovers because if not, if you allow Luke Falk and that Washington State Cougars team to stay in the game, they can bite you. And so I'm really looking forward to watching that game. It's a nice West Coast game uh, to be on 10:30 on Friday, um, uh, 10:30 Eastern Standard Time. So I'm just really looking forward to that game. I cannot wait to see how Luke Falk uh, plays, up, especially up in Pullman against that USC Trojans defense. All right, Holly, what's your top three? Um, I'm gonna actually start with. The USC and Washington State game. Like Troy said, weird things happen in Pullman. I don't know if you guys have really heard a lot about Pullman, but basically in the middle of nowhere uh, towards the eastern side of, of the state of Washington. And the way the Pullman is shaped, it's basically like this bowl. And it's always cold. There's always weird weather things that are happening. It's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle of football. There's weird things that happen. And USC, you know, like Troy was saying, I actually think Luke Falk has been playing better than Sam Darnold. I know that Darnold has the more, a lot more hype mm-hmm. behind him, and I think that he is he might look the part as a prototypical NFL quarterback, but I think Luke Falk is more accurate, and I think he's in rhythm. And Washington State, you know, they're playing Leach's offense, which is which is pass, 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 and it took Luke, I think, about a season for him to really be comfortable in that. But since then, he's been on fire. And I would not be surprised at all if Washington State would pull this out. Especially what Troy said, if there's any kind of turnover, you can't give Washington State extra possessions. 
they're kind of their offense is kind of built like the the former Oregon offense, where they they're just capable of putting up so many gaudy numbers. You can't give them those possessions. The second game I um, am really interested in is Georgia at Tennessee. Um, Georgia is is feeling pretty good right now. They're playing very well on the defense side of the ball. The, the true freshman quarterback is playing well. But this could be an upset. Tennessee's still a good team. It's at Tennessee. It's going to be a dogfight. And if, if Fromm can take care of the ball, they should be able to pull it out. But it's going to be a good game to watch. And then the final one is uh, Mississippi State at Auburn. You know, Mississippi State kind of got their, their, their clock. They kind of got clock last, last weekend. And it, I think the line might, might have been too bright for them too soon. Fitzgerald got rocked, and so it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to bounce back from that um, against a strong Auburn team who seems to be uh, continually getting better. So um, that will be a fun one to watch as well. Those are my top three. Awesome. So you guys can uh, take a look at those matchups. Um, they're pretty much – uh, recommended by both of these uh, insiders. So you want to dive into that for this week. And then next week we'll touch base on some of those games that obviously they picked and how it basically affects the rankings. And number two, how it affects them in their own uh, conference play. All right, guys. So uh, we're going to go into the women's uh, gridiron uh, recaps and news and notes. And so we'll go into that right now. Um, I don't think Odessa is going to make it tonight, but that's okay. Like I said, we'll we'll reschedule her, and we're always uh, happy to have her on. Very insightful as well, and um, a championship, a champion on both sides on the USA side, on the national team, and as well as Dallas Elite 2017 WFA champion. So um, let's go to Queensland, you guys. Let's talk about um, actually. Hold on, let me get my notes here. Let's go to. Gridiron and uh, Holly, your girl, the um, Groot, she uh, gets her second championship in at Gridiron, defeating the Diamonds 36 to zero this past weekend. So, um, second championship for her. Congratulations to Danny the Groot and the Central Spears for their championship win, 36 to zero against the Diamonds. So, what do you say about that, Holly? Pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Go, Danny, go. And congratulations to the, the entire team. Um, it, it's awesome to see, you know, your friends do well. So, it, it, good job. Yeah, 36-0, shutout in the finals. Um, it's a three-team three league in this league, so it's still building and growing. Um, so, I, I think at some point the Diamonds actually are going to go play in New South Wales this next week just to keep up with their season because the uh, act season was very short. I think it was only a five-game slate. And so uh, the Diamonds are actually going to go into uh, Gridiron uh, New South Wales this coming weekend. So hats off to them for trying to keep up on and improving. So that was the second title for um, Central Spears and as well as for Danny DeGroote uh, at the Canberra Bowl number two. Uh, Gridiron Queensland, both of you guys, we've talked about Gridiron Queensland a lot here. So this is the league in Australia that really makes a difference. It's basically, if you want to call it the WFA of Australia, this is it right here, the, the, the top league that we, that we know of. Um, so there's about uh, six teams in this league, all these contested really heavily. Ever since the Ravens, Bayside picked up Christy Moran, okay, and you put Christy, uh, Chrissy Torres on here, as well as all the other uh, top talented Ravens, 
the Ravens are 5-0. and They're scoring 34 points a game. They're only allowing 10 points a game. So, uh, Troy, they go into a bye week. The bye week is now. They don't come back to play until October 7th. So they got to be feeling good about when they come back from the bye week, they only have another five games to go, and they pretty much can punch their ticket into the playoffs. Yeah, man, it's nothing like, um, you know, getting a long rest. And I'm pretty sure with all the training in the off season and, you know, the pounding that they take during the season, that time off will, 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 will recharge them and, and get them ready for another run in the playoffs. All right, so, Troy, they're outscoring everybody 202 to 60. So, you, you <laughs> I don't know what to say about that number, but they obviously know how to score. <laughs> they're averaging 34 points a game. Um, so, their opponents are averaging at least six points or under. So, that, that they, got, they got some firepower. And then uh, Christie's so versatile and so talented that, um, you know, this is, this, is, this is basically their year. If anything, I mean, unless they slump in the next five games, this is this is their punch ticket into the uh, to the to the final, the Sun Bowl final. Yeah, I mean, they, they look pretty strong out there. I mean, you know, scoring the way that they do. I mean, they still have, um, you know, they still have a chance to to possibly lose that lose a game to the Stingrays, though. I mean, because the Stingrays are right behind them. They're four and one right now. Uh, they're also not allowing a whole lot of points being scored with them allowing allowing only forty. So they definitely don't score as much as the Bayside Ravens do. So, um, you know, right now the, the Ravens are the hot team. I mean, they're on fire. And, you know, if they can continue that run, um, you know, that they've been on, I mean, they're going to be tough to beat in the playoffs. All right, Holly, Stingrays right behind them, 4-1. and one. They're averaging about 25 points a game. Uh, they're, point, they're, they're at 148-40, to 40, as Troy mentioned here. They're only allowing six points a game. And they got a bunch of shutouts before this. Um, so they don't. They go into the bye week. Week six, Stingray, uh, Stingrays defeated the Jets 26 to zero. Thunder 26 to zero over the Rhinos. The Ravens 66 to zero against the Spartans. I feel bad for the Spartans because I know they're trying and they're doing their part, but it just seems like a horrible season for them. They're 24 to 276. They're they've only averaged four points in the season, so that's pretty bad for them. But for Stingrays, the champs, they're just right there neck and neck with the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, defense wins championships. So if you have a defense be able to uh, hold the points down, it's always going to give you a, a chance to win. And uh, if they're able to do that against the Ravens, then, then there's no telling if, the, if they can turn the corner and uh, win that championship. Um, but uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, so you guys, we have a matchup of all matchups. We just talked about those two teams, and guess who gets to meet each other in week seven? Or, yeah, week seven, October 7th. It's Bayside, Gold Coast. Uh, week three, they met. Ravens beat them 24 to 12. So, Troy, you know that the champs want to come in and put that one loss on Bayside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you have to wonder. Uh, you know, you hear some people sit back and say that a bye is a bad thing because you're in rhythm. I mean, he's got, you know, they they won five straight, obviously, and you know, but and they're going to take that break. And you wonder is that going to hurt them rhythm-wise with the Stingrays having to play a game, you know, the previous week, and then you know coming into that game uh, still in rhythm. 
We'll see how that how, how that equates. I mean, we're definitely going to keep our eye on that game because I've been very interested in the results. And, and, and you know, it was a close game relatively, a twenty-four to twelve game. And so, you know, you'll see if the chance have learned anything from that, and if they can go ahead and flip it around and possibly um, have it a, a, a two-way tie at the top of it. And we'll see what kind of tiebreaker they have. I'm, I'm sure I'm interested in what the tiebreaker system is with that one. I guess it will be the points that they uh, accrue at the end. So we'll see how that goes also. Holly, the Jets are in the mix. It's Thunder, Rhinos, and Jets, two and three. All of them together, they're averaging almost similar in terms of scoring 20, 16, and 13. And they're allowing almost similar points in terms of 14, 18, and 17. So these three teams, they're basically uh, striving for a playoff berth because one of these teams is going to end up third and fourth. And that's it. The cutoff is at fourth place. So the Jets, former champs, they're going to take on the Spartans on week seven, so there should be no reason the Jets lose to the Spartans, but, you know, hey, the weirder things have happened, right? That's why they play the games. So the last time they met, uh, the Jets won 36-0, to zero. so um, I'm hoping that the Spartans will put up a good fight besides a zero. Uh, definitely, you know, it sounds like the uh, meat of that pack is very competitive, uh, you know, according to the point differentials. And so it'll be very important for the Jets to, to uh, you know, make a statement in this game. Uh, you can't ever ca- count anybody out because it's football and weird things happen. You have to continue to uh, take it a game at a time. Um, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that it's an automatic win. You have to you have to make sure that you think of the other team as still competitive because at some point you have to work on getting your own game better. Um, and so that's a, that's a trick that, that football teams need to – the good ones will know how to do. All right, so here's the scenario that we got. The Jets punch in, and get, let's say they get the victory against the Spartans uh, in week seven, October 7th. The next weekend, October 14th, Bayside takes on the Thunder. Stingrays take on the Rhinos. How screwed is that if you're Thunder and the Rhinos? On <laughs> the schedule. <laughs> it's like you just gave the Jets an automatic third place. Oh, I, I, I probably would have been not happy. But uh, that's the way the schedule works out. <laughs> Sometimes all you can you, you can't control what's on your schedule. You, you just have to play what's on it. Sometimes it, it gives you a break, and sometimes it doesn't. And it's the scheduling gods. Yeah. I'm just saying, for if you're a Thunder and Rhinos team, you're like, okay, the Jets get the Spartans are and five, but you guys get the champs and the top leader in the league this next week. <laughs> Pick up your wins. Oh, just that's just uh, it's going to be a harder road, in other words, for them to make the playoffs. But uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they're gonna. They know what's coming. Uh, they played them tough. Uh, Ravens against the Thunder week one. Uh, the Thunder put up 20 points against the Ravens, held them to 44. And then Stingrays against Rhinos in week one to uh, 22 to eight. So Rhinos didn't play bad. They still were coming contention. So I'm pretty sure they're looking forward to uh, getting better against obviously the top tier teams. So um, so we'll wish them well there. So uh, bye week next week for Grand uh, Queensland, and then we'll return on October 7th for that big clash, which is the um, Ravens and Stingrays clashing up in week seven. So um, other news and notes, Friday, I mean, uh, this week it was announced, Friday, November 24th, and Sunday, November, through Sunday, November 26th, in Australia at Gold Coast, uh, the, there will be an um, arrangement where the, um, there will be a national women's team camp 
that will be taking place in Australia to try to introduce a New Zealand women's tackle football on the international. So really exciting news there. Uh, if you want any, more information on that, women's NZ at nzaff.co.nz, and we'll link that up as soon as we get the, more information on it to take care of that. Um, so the other news is uh, WFA tryouts. They're happening nationwide. You can go to wfaprofootball.com. You can go to iwflsports.com. Check on the link for your favorite team in your state and then check out when the tryouts are happening. Then they're off-season off tryouts are all over the place right now. Um, the LFL fired two coaches, uh, the one in Pittsburgh for the Rebellion, Joe DeBerry, and uh, your favorite guy in Denver, Carlos Bates, which was just a horrible, horrible squad. Anyways, so he gets fired and canned in Denver. Uh, they, will come, they will come back next season with the two teams. That was the announcement. Uh, by the LFL, so that was the only news out of the LFL is that the two coaches get fired. But uh, Denver was just a disaster. I mean, they deserve something better, as you were saying before, Troy. So we're good for there. Trials for them is LFLUS.com, and details are there. Um, the other championship that happened was in Germany. So, Holly, uh, Division One, Division Two in Germany, a lot, of, a lot of clubs in Germany. It's kind of like WFA in the United States. So the Berlin Cobras, once again, back-to-back champions. 32-26, they win on a last-minute interception in the fourth quarter, very competitive through fourth quarters. It was 26-26, and then it was uh, two minutes two minutes left, and an interception returned, and then gives the, uh, the Cobras the punch for the touchdown. And so they win against the Maine's uh, Eagles, uh, 32-26. So that's pretty exciting. I mean, anytime you have a walk-off take six, it, it tells you it's a good game. And you know, from my understanding, they uh, uh, dominated that way for a really long time. Um, yep. So, I mean, hats off to them uh, for for making the plays at the end that uh, that they need to. Yeah, and, and the Cobras were on the edge, to your point. They were almost <laughs> – it was going to be overtime. At some point, uh, they, everybody was thinking it was going to be overtime. You can get some of the highlights from um, – uh, so, uh, Solis Nasita, who did a video, he was there live for the event. He was invited to be at the Ladies Bowl 26. So it's on our Facebook page so we can take advantage of that. Division two was Cologne Falconets, 44 to zero against the Cologne Roland. Uh, also, it's on our Facebook page. You can take a look at that. Uh, Gridiron New South Wales, uh, week four results: Raiders 20 to 14 over UT, UTS Gators. Phoenix 16-8 over the uh, uh, North Sydney Rebels. Uh, they also get a bye week, and they're going to come back on October 7th. And the Ack Diamonds coming off that big loss against the Groot and the Spears will take on the Northwest Phoenix. And then you also have uh, the Sydney Rebels taking on the Champs once again, uh, the Raiders. The, uh, it's going to be an impressive matchup. The Raiders have played a pretty good game week one, 24-4, 22-14. Week two, they uh, get their win, 22-14 against the Gators. Week three, 28-16. So they're staying competitive. 16-8 was the last loss that they had against Phoenix, and the last loss against the Chance was 28-16. So, Holly, you know that uh, these uh, Rebels, they're coming in for the win because they they lost by not that much, so they're probably going to get better. I mean, that's the name of, name of the game with football. you got to – uh, no matter what the result on the scoreboard says, you have to try to get better and better. So, I mean, this is their opportunity to prove it on the field. Um, so we'll see how that goes. All right. Raiders own this uh, own this 4-0. They're undefeated. 
So they're looking for five and zero start. The Rebels are one and three, and like I said, they played tough. The, uh, the three losses were really tough, and they were still competitive. So they're looking for their second win of the season. The Gators are one and three. Obviously, off the, they're not playing this week. Phoenix two and one, looking for a three and one start and staying in track with the Raiders. And the Diamonds are zero and one. They're looking for their second win in the NSW. So um, that's pretty much all I have for news and notes. Um, if you go to the job boards, uh, take a look at that. Go to Club Burmy. Club Burmy is awesome, um, as uh, Holly will allude to, and and Troy. So if you want the latest news in the WFA, USW, USWSFL, and IWFL, make sure you uh, hang out with Club Burmy because he's an awesome guy. So we all know Burmy, so he's an awesome, awesome fan. Super fan, would you want to call him at least? Um, so right, Holly. What's up, yeah, Burmy? Definitely, definitely a super fan. Definitely a super fan. Club Burmy. What's up, Burmy? Uh, yeah, peace out, brother. <laughs> Burmy's awesome. I love Burmy. Burmy's yeah. awesome. He's so passionate and so much love for the sport. Absolutely. It's just, just unreal. So unreal. All right. So, Holly, uh, any tryouts for the Majestics coming up or anything Majestics related before we get out of here? we got about three minutes. Uh, so, we had a tryout this last weekend. It was a pretty good turnout. Uh, we're looking to probably have another one in October. Uh, so check out the website at theseattlemajestics.com. There'll be updates there when, uh, for when the next one is. You can always find us on Facebook at uh, Seattle Majestic. All right. So, Troy, looking forward to NFL weekend, college football, as you mentioned before. Um, I want to just give a shout-out to Zazzo for supporting us and keeping us in, in chat, uh, Apple Podcasts as well, and Blog Talk Radio for giving us the platform as well. And so, uh, and all the fans that are listening, I got a lot of feedback from fans. They really, really are starting to enjoy our platform. Some of them didn't even realize that we're on this platform. But uh, the guy over here, Mr. Uh, Wilson, they truly love him, all the insights and the amount of uh, passion that he's got for college football. And then Holly over here, the same passion for college football. And you get the, the nice guacamole sauce with women's football all together. So there you go, all-star with insights. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the WFA. There's supposed to be a WFA meeting this, this, this coming week. We'll see what it comes out and what kind of changes they're, they're going to make for next season. Um, so looking forward to it. On the group boards, everybody's excited. They want to see what kind of changes they're going to make and all that. So it's going to be exciting. So for Troy Wilson, Holly Custis, Oscar Lopez saying join us next week, and uh, we'll see if we can get uh, Odessa back in here so we can talk football, WFA 2018. So for uh, – Next week, Tuesday, don't miss it, be here. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.